podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. All gather round his coffin now and cry. He had a heart of gold, and he wasn't very old. Oh, why did such a fella have to die? Poor Charlie's dead. Hello everybody and welcome to The Rewatch Project with Hannah and Mike, uh, episode 42, maybe 43, I want to say. I think we're sort of around there. basically my vintage. Wow, gosh, yes. No, not 1943. (laughs) (laughs) But we're somewhere around there. These these fine listeners can um, look down at their phones and see precisely when it is. But uh, anyway, welcome back. We are, as the... Name of our podcast is Yes, my name is Mike, and uh, with me as always is Hannah. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Jolly good. So, uh, Very pleased it's Friday. Very pleased it's Friday, uh, and we are celebrating our Friday evening, like all party animals, um, by watching an episode of television we've already seen. <laughs> and talking to each other about <laughs> and, it. Yeah, well, we're talking to each other apart, that's fine. We've got wine, it's socialising, it's yeah. okay, it's poker night, you know. But yeah, so we are continuing on with uh, Watchmen by uh, the Sorbet. HBO. The, uh, yes, the, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Sorbet. Um, so this is the second of nine episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what's the name of this episode, Hannah? This episode is called Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship. Okay. Rolls off the tongue. They have very prosaic uh, names, the episodes of, uh, of this show, don't they? And, uh, yeah. And who's, um, who, what, what is talent is behind this? directed by Nicole Castle again, same as episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, and written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Hughes. I've got to make a correction, actually, um, from last time. Uh, I said, "Did that I get something wrong?" No, no, I got something wrong. Oh, um, that I said that I thought that Nick Hughes was the brother of Carlton Hughes, who was the co-showrunner of Lost with right. uh, Damon Lindelof. He's actually his son. Oh, uh, right. I think he's relatively new. I think the leftovers might have been like the first thing he actually did. Um, he um so he write he's written two episodes for Watchmen and he wrote twelve he was a staff writer for the leftovers. Yeah. So That's very understandable yeah. why he's here. But I think that he is quite a key creative on this show. I think that uh, I mean like I said, I think he's from got here a supervising out. producer credit as yeah, well. Yeah. Mm. Um Yeah, and, and as far as the director goes, I think what I think happens on a lot of these shows, I know um Star Trek Picard does this as well, where they film in blocks. So a lot of a lot of these shows, a lot of these nine or ten episode sort of um, limited cable show seasons, you'll see the director will do two episodes, and then another director will come in and do another two, and it's mm. like they shoot in these blocks of two. So I think that at least the first episode of this, that's the uh, that's the case. Um, but before actually, yeah, go go for the synopsis of the episode, and I'll do a little bit of housekeeping. Yep. So the synopsis for this episode says: As Angela relives haunting memories of an attack on her family, she detains a mysterious man who claims responsibility for Tulsa's most recent murder. An original play is performed for an audience of one. Okay. Compelling. So um, not giving a lot away, really. No. Um, so uh, just a little bit of housekeeping before we get into things. Um, quick reminder to check out all of the other shows over at wearepodsyndicate.com. I'll play a couple of promos for those in the break. Um, 
Also, um, we are on social media at RewatchProj. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And um, also, if you listen to us via YouTube, then um, uh, like and subscribe and do all the things that one does on YouTube. Write hateful things, <laughs> you know, all of that. Don't do that. No. Mike um, screenshotted and sent me a couple of really lovely messages um, that had come through. On YouTube. Yeah. yeah I we just do want appreciate. to read one of them because it really did make me smile. I think it's Silver Surfer. I could be wrong um, because I can't see the username. I did a screen, a, a snip just, talk yeah. on it. So, uh, um, so it just says, wanted you to know that I've greatly enjoyed listening to you both dork out about AOS. And I love that phrase, dork out, because yeah. that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. We're just having a right little nerd fest. And, and for, uh, for Watchmen fans... Um, AOS is Agents of Shield, the show oh, that, yes, we've, that we've been covering. Sort of the, the sandwich uh, yeah. around this, which we uh, we heartily recommend. Um, and uh, email, um, we appreciate it. Rewatch Project at uh, sorry, Rewatch Project Podcast at gmail.com And we've had an email here, so I'll pass this over to Hannah. Oh, it's from Dave again. Hiya again from Dave and wife in St Helens. Thanks for answering my question. I would definitely watch the Michael Pena Ant-Man show. I read Watchmen back in the day and saw the film and liked it, but haven't checked out the show, so we'll give it a pop. as an excuse to listen to you guys as much as anything. It got me to thinking, are there any other one-season and done shows that you would recommend? Dave. Thank you, Dave. That's a great question. It's interesting as well. And also, what's your wife's name? Yeah. I'll be curious. Hello, um, Dave's wife. Yes, hello, Dave's wife. Whatever your name may be. Um, just and, before we... And if we're... Like, is that St. Helens in the UK? Um, that's that's what I want to know. Yeah, that's Le- a... Let us know. Yeah. Because if I, it is... I, I would assume by the time that the email <laughs> was sent, it was probably the UK. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so... A um, couple of things there. First of all, it's good that you are a listener of our show from the Agents of Shield um, episodes, but you're mm. considering giving us a pop. You know, it would be a shame if we had segregated audiences yeah. for the different shows that we do. Uh, we realise that there'll probably be some that you'll do. And I think also we've talked before about how I kind of see this as a library show. I, th- mm. I, I could imagine, you know, I think it would be great if we were still doing this in a in a couple of years' time and people found the shield episodes or the mm. watchman episodes back then and went back and listened. Well, this is know? the thing they're always going to be there so yeah, if yeah. you decide to go and watch the show you can go back and listen to the yeah stuff. and feedback to us about it as well mm. i mean the, the, the whole the feedback show of this is just about all the geeky shit it's that we timeless like, it's, you know, it, and, uh, yeah it doesn't matter when you feedback i'm not guaranteeing right? that hannah and i's memories of oh the god we won't be, remember yeah. anything yeah we'll probably yeah. Be like, wow yeah that sounded great you know um <laughs> You know, I mean, we'll probably end up accidentally rewatching the show, same show twice at some point or another. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so so that's good. But also, what I would say is, I've noticed a cu- I've seen a couple of people say this actually since we've mentioned that we're doing Watchmen. I think that one of the things that's hurt this show is I think there was a misunderstanding that it was cancelled. Right. Um, like uh, one person on our book was like, "Oh, I was going to watch this show, but I heard it got cancelled at the end of its first season." And it didn't, you know, no. it was, it was, it was, you know, it was, this season was designed to be a story. It's very much in the lines of True Detective or uh, Fargo, yeah. where it's a complete 
story within the universe. Yeah, like if they didn't and it season. could move on, it could move on, yeah. but it doesn't necessarily have to yeah. move on. I mean, at the moment, technically, it's a limited series, which is the 21st century version of the miniseries. Like back in the day, back in the glory days of, of network television in the 70s and 80s, you had all of these um, really high profile, usually based on books, miniseries. So you had things like Shogun and like Hollywood Wives, so Jackie mm. Collins one, and um, The Thornbirds was another one as well. Mm. And they usually, uh, V, the original V was one of those. They'd usually be like five two-hour sort of TV movies told over a few Love weeks. Love a miniseries. And, and they kind of stopped making them. Mm. But then- well, they became very... Like they were only the Jackie Collins type. Well, they went over to like the Lifetime mm. thing, and it and it all became sort of you know which I love. Yeah, they've I got do their love, place as, as, as it, camp. It's niche. Yeah, yeah. And um, what happened then was that you then started getting shows that were like limited. Like the the Twin Peaks Return was considered mm. a limited series, and, and actually like, Luther is is kind of like that because it like certainly in its later seasons. Um, you know, it it might be a season of like four episodes or three. Episodes. Yeah, and they don't know whether they're going to do more. No, it's almost like films. They're, they're long yeah, films. Yeah. Um, and then what you started to see recently, the latest development of this, and what I will mention to people who haven't listened to our show before, one of the things that we've always talked about and are quite interested, at least I am, um, is kind of the evolution of particularly American television and how it's changed, and. What you started to see in the the 2010s was this season-long, I guess what you'd call anthology shows. Mm. Um, American Horror Story, I think, might have been the first one. Right. Uh, and then you had American Crime Story. It. And the, the idea being, and funnily enough, they referenced those with American Superhero Story as one mm. of the that we saw in the oh, last okay. episode of yep. this. They're the Ryan Murphy show. So the idea is, is that they're shows where each season is a completely different story and characters, um, but the same creatives making them. Mm. So, I mean, I... I mean, that's one thing I love about Fargo, um, that it's the same creative crew. Yeah, but they're um, so different. But completely different, but like, there, there is a thread. There, like, it might be tenuous, but there is a thread, mm. you know? Um, it, and it's, it's just, you know, another part of the story from a different character's perspective. I mean, also, if you want to talk zeitgeist, um, a lot of people talk about how Watchmen is part, the HBO 2019 series, is part of an accidental zeitgeist trilogy made up of Watchmen 2019, um, Fargo season four, um, the Chris Rock season. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And um, have you heard of um, Lovecraft Country? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. That's another limited series. It's a 10-episode HBO show, largely African-American. It's starring the guy who was in the final episode of Loki, you know, the one he he turned out he was behind the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler. And that's a... Well, that's a a very racially charged time travel series. And they go back to Tulsa in 1921. Oh, really? And... It's funny how within about six months of each other, these three shows all mm. came out and were all standalone seasons of TV. And they all kind of circled the American dream from the perspective of the African-American experience. Yeah. And um, and they all um, predated the, not the Black Lives Matter um, movement, because that's actually been going on longer than people realise. Mm. Um, um, but 
the explosion of interest in it mm. after the George mm. Floyd um, murder. And, um, yeah, so there's, it's, it's really interesting. I think that this show um, is going to be one that people are going to look back on, not just from the perspective of the content, but as far as being a kind of pop cultural sociological marker Mm. for when it was made yeah you know and um it's interesting we got we got some um i saw some comments on feet on facebook because uh, what i do um whenever we put a new episode of, of the shield podcast i'll i'll fire off the url to loads of shield groups on facebook mm. and i did the same for watchmen for this and somebody on one of those groups who listened to this listen to it today was talking about how interesting it was what you were saying about um the masks yeah. Um, and about how um, it's so funny how Watchmen is set in an alternative history, mm. but our reality has changed since this was made. Yeah. So it's almost like a third reality oh, yeah, has branched totally. off. Like, and totally. that's a really weird thing to think about, <laughs> you know. So uh, just back to Dave's question Sorry, tan- about... Sorry, a big yeah, tangent. Yeah. But um, what would your one-and-done series... Be for recommendation. Well, I mean, there were some good. I can't remember if it, if it was Dave or Dan um, mentioned a couple last week. Like American Gothic and Murder One were really good ones. Um, oh, that was Dan. Yeah, um, and there was. Um, oh, there are a few. Um, I mean, I think you, if you haven't watched any Fargo, you could watch any of the. Like, there's four series of it, yeah. but you could watch any of them in isolation. And they, they have. They have a beginning, middle, and end yes, in and each season. They are. They do have a connective tissue, but, but they're very different. But but the connective tissue is is tenuous, and it's almost like a punchline. Yeah. It's almost like a oh, yeah. so that's that like, person it, when they were old or young. It's very like you don't, you absolutely do not have to have seen any of it to watch one in isolation. Yeah. So you could you could absolutely watch watch a season of Fargo and just watch it. Just watch one and one and done. Here's a random one. I'm watching at the moment. Uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh yeah, that's brilliant. It's a, it's a British comedy from 2004. It's only six half twenty minute episodes, um, but and it's brilliant. Yeah, well, you know what it's like. So surreal. You, you know what? It, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know how when you get like big bands, and then often you find out, that, or a music scene, that a bunch of them were in this obscure little band before. Yeah, like yeah. Pearl Jam, there was like Mother Love Bone yeah. that had like members of Soundgarden and Pearl Jam in it, but yeah. they never got big. And then after Pearl Jam and Soundgarden got big, people went back and were like, ooh. Yeah. Oh, Dark Marengi's Dark Place is the Mother Love Bone of, yeah, of really British is. comedy. Like you've got yeah. Matt Berry, uh, Richard Ioide, yeah. um, you know, and it's and the idea, and this basically, it's the conceit of it, I'd never seen it. I watch it. I'd always I've, heard about I've it. I've seen it twice. I've seen clips of it, but the the idea of it is it's this, this Stephen King esque writer, and the show is presented almost like a DVD bonus feature. Mm. And the idea is is that he's uncovered episodes of his TV show that he really egotistically wrote, directed, and produced in the eighties um, called Dark Place. And it's very much like a Doctor Who, Sapphire and Steel, low budget British sci fi film. And each episode is an episode of the show, but it cuts back to interviews with the people who made it. You know, yeah. so it's this very postmodern. It's thing. like a talking heads kind of thing, but yes. not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it's just completely fucking hilarious. It's really good, and and it's one of those things where, like all good comedy. It's incredible that they realised that it was funny. Yeah, like they're doing it, and they must have been thinking, are, are people going to like? Is it? 
is this just us that finds this funny? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and for me, the master. I mean, Matt Berry is great because he just does that great voice. But I think the star of the show is Richard Ayoade. Oh, he's fantastic in it when he plays his agent. Yeah, because he's just so <laughs> serious. Yeah, and almost real. Just mm. it's just it's such a pitch per. It's so worth watching just for his performance. I saw I saw Gaff Marengu's Dark Place before I saw him in the IT crowd. Yeah. So my experience of Richard Ayoade was, you know, the, the serious agent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love that series. It's great. And, and it's one of those things where it's the first time I've watched it and um, it is just so incredibly quotable. I mean, I've got to find his WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> it's just stuff like, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. And uh, <laughs> what's it? Um, Greetings, friends. I hope you're sitting comfortably, be it on a sofa, armchair, or beanbag, if that's how you choose to live your life. And um, as I rounded the corner, I felt muscular and compact, like corned beef. <laughs> but it's all delivered in this just such an earnest voice. And, that, and that, that's a good one, season one. But as far as dramatic ones goes, oh, it's really difficult. I, I think that this, this is why I need to read our emails before we actually do the show, because I know that when I go for my fourth piss of the night I was also born in 1943 <laughs> actually I'm a few, I've got a few years on Hannah I was, I was yeah, late yeah. 30s wasn't I yeah um, he's ancient yeah he's but I, I know that I will remember a whole bunch of them mm. it's just going to be one of those uh, I can't think of I mean Firefly's an obvious one yeah Hannah, Hannah's the only person in the world who doesn't like Firefly but that is that is a well regarded one season yes. show it fits the yeah I can't think of a lot of one and done shows Watchmen's kind of an anomaly for me because mm. normally there's at least two or three seasons of something yeah. that I'm watching. Um, I mean, if you're thinking of things that have short runs, um, like things like um, the first couple of seasons of The Last Man on Earth are great. Yeah, yeah, that's a you short know, and, and you could probably... Even if you did, because it got cancelled mid-season, season four. Yeah. Um, even if you didn't want to go until the bitter end of it, you could you could potentially watch the first couple of seasons and just kind of be okay with it yeah. there um, and leave it open-ended. Um, I'd like to cop out on this one and say... Um, We'll come back to this because I yeah, know that I think there are. So. I think it requires a bit more thought, and 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 it's such a great question. I would love to put together a bit of a list. The, the, yeah, absolutely. Well, the reason I say that is that when uh, Dan mentioned Murder One and American Gothic last week, I distinctly you had such a face palm I, like I can't believe yeah, no, I didn't well, think no, no, of that. No, no, well, it wasn't that. Well, it, the, well, that that is true. But what I'm saying is that I remember distinctly thinking of another couple of shows that were like that. Mm. Um, but I'm just not recording them at the moment. Yeah. Um, okay. But well, don't worry. We will get back to you. In the meantime, send us your wife's name. <laughs> yes. Um, and a lock of her hair. Yeah. <laughs> no, a bit of brief history. Yeah. You know, um, birth date, star sign. Yeah. Mother's maiden name. All the, all the, Favourite all the, alcoholic all the drink. Stuff. Um, okay, well, anyway, should we, uh, we're 20 minutes deep. First uh, pet, we used to live as a kid. <laughs> yeah. You know. You know, just innocuous. Password fodder. Seemingly unconnected <laughs> uh, information like that. Okay, well, let's um, let's hit pause and let's yeah. go into episode two of um, 
Watchmen 2019 and then we will come back and we will have a non-spoiler conversation and then if we do if we are so moved uh, or still awake enough because it is Friday night uh, to do a non-spoiler section then we will make sure that we preface that with clarity so uh, we will see you again in uh, an hour's time Mulberry Boys every Friday night on the show you better know they keep it tight ETL is back and the J-Strom's in the zone introduce the co-host he doesn't do it alone PCZ is about to hold court you know he's on the headset you can hear him snort pop culture movies TV shows and games Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays Foggy don't play around he will bust a drop fast welcome to the entertainment landfill podcast the Jason and Steven show it's the Jason and Steven show. What? what? The Jason and Steven show. It's the Jason and Steven show. This podcast you're listening to, pretty good, isn't it? Only problem is, it's about halfway through. Pretty soon, it'll be over. And then what are you going to do? Well, if you're a fan of this show, why not head over to wearepodsyndicate.com and subscribe to our brand new feed, Pod Syndicate The Bonus Shows. Every week, your hosts from Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, His Film, Her Movie, and What's On Tap will be dropping bonus shows right onto that feed. These shows might be collaborations and crossovers, or they might be archive episodes, interviews, one-offs, and other treats from across the Pod Syndicate network. So, prepare yourself for the inevitable disappointment of this Pod Syndicate show ending by heading to wearepodsyndicate.com and clicking on the bonus shows. We now return you to your regularly scheduled Pod Syndicate podcast. Okay, so we're back. We have just finished watching Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship. First, um, actually, it's it's kind of almost the anniversary of this. What date are we on today? It was 27th of October 2019, uh, so uh, oh, almost. Look at that, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was great. I feel like a broken record because I know that I'm going to say this with every episode. It's almost redundant asking No, me. it's not redundant. Because... Well, it is because I, I know I'm going to love every episode. Um, I have no bias when it comes to this series of episodes. It's so good and so written for me Mm. in a way that I never thought would be I just fucking love it from start to finish love it I remember the first time we watched this um it was probably I can't remember if it was episode three or four but I do remember pausing it and saying to you I fucking love this tv series because it's difficult to tell with you sometimes when we're watching stuff. There'll be times where I'll have no idea, and then you'll we'll, we'll pause it, and you'll be like, I don't want to watch the rest of these. Mm. And I'll be like, well, that came from out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> and then there'll be other times where you'll say stuff like that, and that will equally have come from out of nowhere, you know? Yeah, but, like, um, I feel like I could absolutely do the same thing now. Like, I don't love it any less um, in fact, if anything, I just love it more because I know where it's going. Yeah. Mm. What about you? Um, I, I, I think this episode, the word that springs to mind is assured. It just feels very assured and confident and like 
I think even if you haven't seen the original Watchmen, even if you haven't read the comic book or you haven't for a while, because there's so many different ways and levels of um, context that you can come to this with. Yeah. Um, I think even if you're not sure what's happening and not sure whether you're meant to, like a lot of the time when I watch geeky stuff with Hannah, and it, whether that anything from Babylon 5 to like a Bond movie or something that maybe I've seen more than Hannah or that Hannah has a perception, right or wrong, that I am more inside baseball with it. Mm. One thing that you you say a lot, and I think this a lot, but I don't want to say it because I don't like to show weakness, is am I supposed to know what that means? You know, that thing? Yeah. And I think that with this episode in particular in this really show in general re- reassuring me going no you don't yeah 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 you don't need to know yeah i mean sometimes it's just is it the text being enigmatic or is it that i've missed something and i'm actually going to run into problems with, with, and with that's this? what i think every time like i've missed something i'm going to run into problems yeah and that speaks to your larger personality and your general yeah, persecution basically. complex <laughs> but um but what i'm getting at is the fact that i think even regardless of what your perspective and your 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 prior sort of meta knowledge or whatever you want to call it of this show i think that anybody watching this show they would feel like you're in safe hands and that they they know what they're doing mm. for such a and i had two or three moments in this episode where i felt like i was being rewarded for watching this a second time yeah you know, because sometimes you feel rewarded when you watch something for the first time for paying attention. But there's moments in this where I honestly don't think would have any power on the first watch. Mm. There's moments where um, you... I, I think it's virtually impossible for you to actually have remembered these little things to the point where they carry off that you almost have to re-watch them a second and a third time to get it. Mm. And I don't want to make that sound like it's his puzzle box, but... Um, I just think that this episode really solidified a lot of the stuff in the first episode. I think that the way that it, it edges closer towards being connected to the original text is interesting mm. as well. Yeah. And I think that a lot of the thematic elements, um, whether they be the aesthetic stuff that we've talked before about, like you know, the, the, the font or the typography, the use of of clocks and watches and colours and eggs. <laughs> um, and um, history and um, popular culture and all of these things r- really start to coalesce in this episode. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, should we get into it? Should we get yeah. into the into the, the actual sort of breakdown of it? Um, a couple of little things from the first episode that occurred to me um, in the previously is that the the um and I mentioned this to Hannah mm. is the the blood on the badge that you see at the end um when Judd has been hung or appears to have been hung by Will you see the blood drip down onto his um police badge and that's you know clearly a reference to the comedian's death at the beginning and I think that that's actually the cover image of the first ever edition of Watchmen mm. is the the yellow smiley face badge with the oh, blood yeah it um, is sort of I remember it. that I mean that's yeah. a very sort of mm. um iconic image yeah um so we, we this week's um version of the Watchmen logo is it being typed in yellow 
by a secretary who appears to be working for a um, German officer. And basically her job is to type up propaganda um, letters. And it's interesting that they're showing that um, the propaganda is getting the black man fighting uh, because the white man is using him as a puppet. Yeah, yeah. You know, like... As cannon fodder. Yeah, and the the thing is that the black man has his struggle, what in whatever case that may be, depending on the country. Um, but this is like, how is this going to benefit the white man best? Let's get these people on board. Yeah, and the, it's interesting as well, because with and the conflict that we're I seeing... Feel I feel mean, weird saying it like that, but... It, it's kind of how it is in the in the TV episode. Yeah, I mean, like it's, it, it's it's not how I think of it. I'm trying to say it how it's come across. The one thing that all of this, all of Watchmen, the comic book, the film, the TV series, all of that stuff has is there's a lot of echoing mm. uh, of characters and stories and themes. It just feels like there's, there's it's like a soup of ideas. And it's get, it gets reinterpreted and kind of bounced around. And this conflict yeah. that we see at the beginning, I mean, it's, a, it's clearly um, early 20th century. I mean, presumably World War I. Uh, I mean, it's prior to um, the 2021, uh, the, the uh, Tulsa massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would put it around, you know, 1915, 1916, presumably. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit later. But... Um, it's interesting that, you know, we see that. But even in, you know, the Vietnam War, there was a disproportionately large number of African-Americans who were in the drafted ranks yeah. of people. Yeah. So what we're seeing here is basically Germany saying, hey, you know, why why would you fight for these people? Come to us. Like, you know, um, uh, black people are treated better. And, and it's interesting because you see that, that, that dichotomy between America and Europe. I mean, famously, in the 50s, you had people like, uh, you know, great, incredible, talented um, African-American artists like Miles Davis, mm. who had never left America. And then they got a little bit of success and they'd go to Paris and they'd, they'd be treated like an intellectual. Mm. And they'd be like, oh, my God. And then they go back to America and it was like they were going back 100 years, you know. And That was the same in Russia. In fact, I've listened to, um, oh, gosh, a couple of podcasts and I can't think for the life of me. Um, what they were on now, but about how, you know, um, someone of African-American descent um, having come to Russia or Germany to live and they're treated as kings and queens and, yeah. and you know, the the apartheid that they've experienced in the US just, just isn't there. I mean, I, I feel that, as silly as it sounds, when I go back to England because New Zealand is such a... Um, a safe place. I know, must admit, the, it, like the last time we went back to the UK, and this is like four years ago now yeah. because our son was one. Um, and I'd lived in the UK for 14 years previously. It's mm. not like I'd, you know, I was on some random holiday. Um, I felt very unsafe. Yeah. And, and it's just it's just um yeah contextual it's just mm. contrast like i remember um when your parents were staying with us and i remember your dad i remember just walking down um the high street in mosley yeah. in birmingham 
and your dad being a bit like, God, it just feels sketchy here. And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because that was every day. And I was, you know, street smart within the context of living there. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, okay, well. Don't go that way. And, your peripheral yeah. vision will tell you to maybe walk a few meters this way. Mm. And you just, you, you, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You assimilate that into your life yeah. and you sort of like do it. But um, so, so in this. But um, like, I mean, we're not saying that like New Zealand, some utopia where nothing bad happens. It's just smaller population, smaller crime unit. Yeah, yeah. Basically. Well, it's like, I mean, we were talking about how, you know, um, the previous episode of this, um, um, it's summer and we're running out of ice. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, uh, do the right thing. You know, it's yeah. like uh, heat wave in a city. And people start acting crazy, you know. Yeah, and yeah. and you see that, but um, but so so what we see is we we see this propaganda that that was like typed up for um you know black officers during well, actually not even officers black you know grunts yeah um um talking about how um you know don't fight us come and join us and we see um the uh the the child from the first episode and his parents um and that. The note that was written that we see uh, Will uh, mm. handling at the end of the first episode is written on the back of that. Yeah. Um, so we see um, Judd, um, uh, and I, I hadn't really. It was. Uh, it feels silly that we didn't make this connection in the first episode, but the whole Oklahoma thing, you know, mm. the uh, uh, poor Judd is dead. You know, the whole idea that I don't know um, Oklahoma. Well, well, well the, the irony of the song in Oklahoma is that Judd is his character who is like, he's like a J.R. Ewing kind of, he's like the town miser. And he dies, and then people realise, actually, he was okay. Uh, he was just being, he was tough love. Mm. And um, that's where the title of the first episode comes from, is that they talk about how he, he hangs himself, and they all feel bad. And the, the whole song, Poor Judd is Dead, is like, there he is, he's dying. And at the end, they want to bury him and they want to keep his body cool. Mm. But it's summer and they're running out of ice. Right. So they can't, they can't okay. keep. So it's kind of like a, almost like a bit of like a, a punchline. So I, I've, I've never, ever seen the musical Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, but over my head, but, but, all uh, of that. On the most basic level, I think that's why they decided to call the Don Johnson character Judd. Yeah. Was so they could oh, have fun yeah, with totally, the Oklahoma, totally. Oklahoma thing. Yeah. Um, so we get the title um, of the episode in yellow. Again, it's it's presented, it's kind of out of focus to the edge of the frame. It's very and much like um, comes in as some kind of like weird 3D text behind in the scene behind the person. Yeah, you're not even quite sure what you're seeing at frame. first, are you? Yeah. It's like the camera kind of happens across mm. it almost. Yeah. Um, so what we see is um, the the understandably confused uh, Angela Abar takes um, the Lou Gossett Jr. character to the store. Uh, I like the fact that, and I think this is a great way of explaining who her character is, is that she goes into the back room, mm. has a shit attack, and then he's like, okay, now focus. I've, now I've got that out of my system. It's it's interesting. I've got the note, love Regina King's raw grief. Doesn't want to show old man, but totally an angry bit. And, and it feels like, and again, saying this from, from the perspective of a white European person, mm. it feels like people who have are used to having low-key oppression their entire life, mm. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, you're not having people. We don't live in a world now, thankfully, where people are running through the streets, for the most part, being openly racist and wearing, yeah. you know, clan outfits. But 
you, I would imagine, if you are in a minority or somebody who has a disability or are a woman or anything, anything isn't a white man, um, have at least moments of like you know micro racism or micro prejudice or mm. micro judgment or whatever, and yeah. that the the act of just like having to be like ah oh, fucking hell, but then being like okay, I've got to go back and do my job is part of life. And it feels like this is a kind of, I mean, the, the, the events in this episode obviously are extraordinary, but that feels to me like something that I would imagine uh, a large number of people can relate to, yeah. having to do, having to yeah. just like, you know, put on the fake smile and just play through this mm. shit and put up with it and, you know, all that kind of stuff. What I want to mention something about the music here. I'm a big fan of Trent Reznor. I like Nine Inch Nails. They were I was, they were a band I was really into. I saw them live in like 1991, supporting Guns N' Roses at Wembley Stadium. Um, and you know, pre- so you're like a like a um, first tier fan. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. And and the um, a Pretty Hate Machine, their first album's amazing. I love the music that Trent Reznor did for like Natural Born Killers and Lost Highway and uh, Twin Peaks: uh, The Return. But one of the things I like about this is that, uh, that um, Trent Reznor's done a lot of music scores. He mainly works for David Fincher. Mm. Um, but his music his music scores, just get the life out of me, I thought Sorry. that was going all over me. Um, his scores normally don't sound like Nine Inch Nails. They're quite restrained. But yeah. I like the fact that in this, he gets to go full Nine Inch Nails. He gets to actually do that kind of like hard... Um, sort of synthy, techno-y kind of stuff that yeah. he, he does so well. Yeah. Um, so we see um, Angela put the costume on, and I love her costume from a design perspective. Mm. The way that she's got, she's got the eye spray like Daryl Hannah in Blade Runner, mm. but it's got it's the fact that it's got the, a a uh, that nun theme that she's got the. Um, I've got a spoiler about the costume. Um, but I think, like it's a spoiler. Okay. I need to talk about it in nights. Okay, um, but yeah, so she's got like the kind of the uh, like the rosary beads mm. and all that kind of stuff in the hood. And I just yeah. think from a design aesthetic perspective, and the yeah. way that they use the mask pulled up, and again, it's crazy, it's crazy that they. And I know that there's precedent for this because I know that the, um, you know, particularly in Asia with SARS, mm. you know, the image of people with the with with masks on. This yeah. is not completely the purview of um, of COVID, mm. um, but. It is odd to think that, you know, that how you're absolutely right in the last episode that in 20 or 30 years, people will watch this and go, oh, yeah, this is like a post-COVID thing. And I think it'll it'll be old people like us will have to shout at clouds to go, no, that's not how it was. <laughs> it was before COVID. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. I also like the fact that when he, this is a loaded comment as well, and talk about a double meaning, is that when she, she puts her um, superhero costume on, and walks in, he looks at her and says, you've changed. Mm. And the way he delivers the line is, there's obviously two readings of yeah, that, yeah. you know? Yeah. He says that he's 105. He says that um, he can manipulate people and make things levitate, and that's how he got um, Judd to mm. be hung, and she's just like, whatever. He says maybe he's Dr. Manhattan. And she's very dismissive of that when mm-hmm. he suggests that. She says, well, he's on Mars, and he can't levitate people. Uh, well, no, he can't emulate people she mm. says sorry yeah the, the camera really makes a big deal out of his pills yeah um they're in the foreground and he says that they're for his memory mm-hmm. and he says that um he thinks that that judd has a skeleton in his closet and basically 
that there's a vast conspiracy in Tulsa. Mm. And say, and this is where he tells her that his name is Will. She ha- Angela has to act surprised when she learns that Judd has been found. There's a couple of t- points in this episode where Angela does that thing where she black widows people. Yeah. You know, where she's acting a certain way and mm. then she's like, ha ha, you fuckers. She absolutely fucks them. And, yeah. then, in this, and then in this scene... It's the coffee cup. Mm. It's that, she, that you realise that she just wants to bag and tag the coffee cup. Mm. Then we go out of a news stall. I think it's designed to echo, you know, all the scenes in the original Watchmen where you've got that kid reading the comic book yeah. at the stall. Yeah. And cuts to you we actually see the comic book that he's reading, yeah. the tales from the Black Freighter, the uh, mm. you know, the pirate story. And um, I think it's also interesting that the newspaper that they take delivery of is the New Frontiersman, which is the kind of gossip rag yeah. that uh, we see in the original Watchmen uh, Rorschach sends his mm. diary to. Yeah. Um, we see a young girl turn up and buy a copy of every newspaper. And the, uh, the stall's keeper says, uh, does she really read all of these? And she mm-hmm. says, yes. So we don't know what that means at this point. We see Glass, who is the reflective masked wearing uh, Inquisitor figure, yeah. uh, brief Angela. And, you know, I mean, he clearly, his his whole deal is that he has a finely attuned bullshit mm. detector. Yeah. Um, and he's... And he doesn't trust anyone. No. And the way that he expresses himself tells you everything about his character. And I want to I take a moment here, actually. I'm going to put my phone down for this. Um, and just talk a little bit about the way that this show handles exposition, because I mm. think this is one of its strengths. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is I'm having to take notes on this show in a really different way to how we do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. Because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a very expositional show. Mm. It's a network show, so uh, they have. To, it's a lot, of, um, a lot of tell and not as much show. Mm. And what I notice with this program is... A lot of the information is conveyed visually. Mm. So if you're looking at, like when we're watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I can look down and I'm hearing it. And I'm like, I know I'm like, okay, they're on the plane set. So as long as I'm hearing what they say, I can make mm. notes. But with Watchmen, if you take your eyes oh, off the screen, yeah, you're yeah. missing visual information because they're if, not telling you, they're showing you. If you're not watching you. it, you're missing something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And an example of that is in this scene, although this is actually dialogue is when Glass says to her, when she's asking about how Judd died, um, he says he was alive the whole time until he wasn't. Mm. And it's like that's the way that he kind of you know, expresses himself as a character. And um, she tells Glass that he's cold. I like the fact that you've got just... that They shoot down some press people who are flying around in these kind of Ant-Man contraptions. And I think yeah. this is an interesting bit of world building because we see it again later on. Uh, and we saw it in the uh, previous episode with the kind of the, the um, sort of owl plane technology finding its way into sort of police use. Yeah. Is that what we're seeing is that the kind of the sci-fi-ish technology that superheroes used in the 80s um, has found its way into kind of everyday life. So instead of drones, you've got kind of, you know, Ant packs. The world is is um, sort of you know touched by this mad technology. Basically, mm. one thing that I think is really interesting is there's a moment when Angela is pulling um, Judd down, where she's lifting him up, mm. where it, she it's framed like she's giving him an embrace, mm. and I think she's meant to be experiencing it. And that moment's echoed at the end. 
when I, she's lifting up Will. Yeah, that's one thing I've made a mention of in my notes about the episode as a whole is the the swipes to different scenarios that the director has used is amazing. Like her hugging his body as she's pulling him down off the tree then flashes back to you know, quite Mark's white night, you know, and she's in her house with her husband. Um, And there's another instance of like, so, and then that happens again um, when it goes from uh, Judd and Angela having their hands on each other in the hospital Mm. um, through to back to the present day when he's in the body bag and she's got her hand on his. Um, But then also later, um when like this is jumping ahead, but Doesn't when matter. when um Angela is in Judd's house um and she's um and she finds his his robes his Ku Klux Klan robes, she looks up at the picture on the wall of the horses and that segues into Going into the Lord of the Manors, the Lord uh, of the Manor, you know. There's another moment as well where uh, there's a shot of Angela in her full garb walking, and she's shot from behind, and it cuts to her in another location, but she's in exactly the same place in the in the frame. Yeah, and I think that this is what you know that thing I've been trying to put my finger on the way that I say that this film, sorry, this series, translates that the design of the comic. Mm. But televisionifies it. So what you've got there is it gives you the feeling when you see her from the back and it cuts to a different location, but she's in the same shot. It almost just looks like they've just changed the background. Yeah. It, it's emulating what your brain does when it moves from a panel to mm. another panel in the comic book. Yeah. Um, I just, I love the visual style of the director. Um, is it Nicole Castle? Yeah. Um, you know, just so fantastic and seamless it like it, nothing is jarring and considering when you're going from you know all the what's happening present day police brutality all that stuff to the lord of the manor hmm. it's a very different scenario and there's a secret there's also you've got we'll get to it but they there's there's, there's a period element as well with mm. the um the tv movie yeah that you see as well but one of the things that I yeah. think is interesting as well is that we, we talked a lot on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. about the difference between network TV shows and uh, cable, like limited series, prestige TV, you know, yeah. um, and how, um, you know, they're, they're very different forms. And I think it's interesting because people always would, would always refer to film, like cinema, as a director's medium and television as a writer's medium. Mm-hmm. So what you will tend to see is that the TV, the directors of TV, network TV shows are generally seen as being jobbers. Mm. They're brought in quite late into the process and they're kind of plugged into the production. And really, it's the writers, producers and the actors that are the stars of a show. What I think is interesting about shows like Watchmen is that the production style is much more like film mm. because what you'll see is the directors of these episodes often... If you look at their MDB, there's a lot of movies mm. in them. Whereas, obviously, with Shield, and this isn't a criticism, you, you need people who can do that. Like I think, some, I think a film director 
would be lost at fucking sea if they got dropped down into to having to direct an episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. They wouldn't know what the fuck to do because uh, of the pace the, that you have to work at. I was just going to say, just the speed that you have to work at and you have to know how to block for TV. It's a different skill it's set. It's a real different skill uh, set. I mean, obviously, if it's crossovers. I'm assuming. I mean, yeah, not, and people know, go the other way. Not that I've done but, either. But I think that that is interesting that, you know, the, the director of this episode, the thing she's most known for is a movie. Mm. Um Having said that, clearly this series is the showrunner is the writer. Mm. I don't think Damon Lindelof directs any of these. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if he's ever directed. But um, you know, I think it is interesting that that um, what 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 Watchmen and these shows like this are a really interesting kind of hybrid. Mm. Of film and TV, you know. I'm just going to quickly have a look. Is it the same director throughout? Uh, no, I think that it's. Um, I think every two episodes it flips. I'd be really interested to see. She directed the first two. I know that. Yeah. So okay. So Stephen Williams directs number three. Does he direct number four as well? Just out of curiosity. I'm just looking. No, Andrej Perry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just. I'm just guessing that they probably shot the more. first two episodes back to back because mm. they were the first two. Yeah. Um, Stephen Williams does direct another episode, but it's not. Maybe they know, shot the man boy. It is interesting that originally when they started filming, it Nicole was meant. Castle directs episode eight as well. But yeah, I think it's interesting that not only did you know Lindelof decide, hey, I don't want to do another season because I've done this. He actually cut it by an episode as well. I mean, I don't know whether they merged it down um, or whether there was a story element that was taken out, but I think that basically he was like, 10's too many. Uh, this thing needs to be known. But okay, we're getting back into the episode. So, so um, I'd just like to say one of the things I like when it goes into the flashback to White Knight, and this is something that happens throughout the episode, in, uh, uh, probably throughout the series and definitely in the film, is the the correlation with the doomsday clock. So yeah. you know, this the beginning of White Night is happening at, at one minute to midnight and um later on And midnight in the original Watchmen was is, DEFCON five. Uh, yeah, DEFCON five. It means five. The, the the missiles have been launched, yeah. you know. And when you have a look at the watch after the play's been reenacted. Yeah. It's nearly midnight yeah. on there as well when he says, we've only just begun. Yeah, I just thought it was just a lovely, subtle way to kind of bring everything together. Like, just to remind the viewer of where things have been and to signify that there's danger coming. Even if they didn't say, we've, we've just begun or, you know, or whatever, you... Part of you knows that it's a subconscious. as the clock gets closer to midnight, yeah. that that's a bad thing. That means thing. bad stuff. Mm. Yeah, I use iconography from the comic book and the movie and the show itself, and they repurpose it to create mood. It's a little bit like the use of iconography in Twin Peaks, like the use of red curtains. Mm. You know, I think that the use of colour and the use of objects and the use of like art and paintings and music and things in this is very similar to that in the sense that it's yeah. there. You you can't explain, always explain completely literally or intellectually what it means, but you find yourself kind of nodding and being like, oh yeah, mm. but but you don't you don't know why. You it's just, just feel like you're in really safe hands yeah, yeah. watching what, it. I, like, the, the, you know, safe in the sense that you know what you're watching is so fucking good. The example I always use is... 
and I think this is really relevant here because I know that, that Damon Lindelof is a huge um, Twin Peaks fan. Mm. Like when they announced the Twin Peaks return at Comic-Con, he, he hosted the Q&A and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there's a great moment in Twin Peaks and there's a reason I'm quoting this, it will make sense in a moment, um, where uh, a character's murdered. Um, it's about halfway through the run of the show. And loads of the characters are sat in a bar. They're sat in the roadhouse. And suddenly this mood of kind of sadness spreads. Mm. And everybody in there suddenly, they're either crying or looking wistful. And there's no logical reason why they would know something had happened. It's just a mood. And you're watching it. And you find yourself understanding. Like you, and even there's a shot of the Carl McLaughlin character sort of nodding as the episode ends. And, it's just, and I remember talking about that at college the next day to, to a, a friend of mine. Saying, I don't understand what it means but it kind of moved me and made sense and she went well that's art mm. that's what art is and you mean like not in so in the original run of in the original in, series in, right, yeah okay sorry uh, i thought you were talking about season three and i was thinking who died yeah and, and that's but but that's that's and there's no one wanky way of saying it that's what art is mm. art is something that isn't necessarily narrative it can be but mm. isn't necessarily narrative it's something that can just exist in time and it has because of it, it being presented to, to you, move you. It, yeah. it just kind of speaks to your experience or something you know yeah absolutely and, uh, and and that's the whole point of art is that what what moves you may not move somebody mm. else like and um, you don't you shouldn't have to and i think this is something that's lost a little bit in the the social media ages you shouldn't have to explain it or defend no. it or justify it there's this whole my movie versus your movie, kind of DC versus Marvel, kind of you know binaryism that exists. No God, and I'm just fine enjoy, liking what I like. Enjoy you know? what you love. Yeah, I mean, fuck me, life is so short. If you want to watch the most Jersey art- Shore, the artiest <laughs> art house films, or you know, fucking the Paw Patrol movie, yeah. go for it. Just don't be a dick. Um, also, just the- let people enjoy the things that they yeah. like. I also think that there's just stuff in this that's just cool. Like yeah. the um, the Christmas moment where, you know, we're on Christmas Eve and you've got Santa Baby playing. And they mm. do that classic, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Quentin Tarantino thing where the song continues and there's that kind of... Um, sort of slows down a little bit yeah, and yeah. gets a bit... A little bit like, yeah, when you see kind of pop songs kind of uh, repurposed in horror movie trailers. It's, like, I think we're alone now and yeah, stuff like that, you know? I think one of the best instances of that that I've ever experienced was watching Rules of Attraction, um, the like the uh, film based on the book by Brett Easton so Ellis. Roger Avery, it's a Roger Avery film. I think, uh, yeah, it? I think so. Um, and there's, there's, I mean, spoilers of... You haven't seen it or whatever, but you know it, it, it's not really going to spoil anything. But basically, there's there's a scene where a girl kills herself, and she's listening to that song "Can't Live If Living Is Without You," yeah. and um, it's such a beautifully done scene. Like Eric Carmen wrote that. She's she's in a bath and she's looking like beautiful but sad. And she methodically takes all her jewellery off and, you know, she's in this lovely bath with candles and whatever. And then, you know, I mean, trigger warning, she slits her wrists Mm. and you see her do that. And it's very slow and um, premeditated. 
and then she lies back in the bath and you don't see much else like it's not gory but as she is dying the the music curves and swerves and oh, I see, slows yeah. and bends and it is just the most effective form of of using yeah. a, a track and slowing it down and and making, making it all, it all sort of wonky almost. and weird for her like you're basically experiencing her bleeding out yeah it's affected me so much i mean i watched that film years ago it must have been shit 2004 so if you have a bath and i hear that song pumping out of the bathroom oh, i need to come check on Break the, the shit. door down yeah, yeah yeah um oh it's so sweet that you think i'd be able to do that <laughs> get philip too yeah i'll get I'll, I'll yeah our son, our son has no personal boundaries no. when it comes to being in the bathroom. And super strength as well. So, uh, yeah. okay, so um, so we, we get the flashback to um, Christmas Eve, and there's a noise. There's a home invasion going on. This is White Night, and as we say, the song keeps going. Um, the one thing actually I want to mention a little bit. Uh, I'm jumping back and forward a little bit here. But is this idea of Angela and intimacy? Yeah. Um, like there's a there's a there's a there's a sex scene in the first episode with her and and Cal, but it's very kind of they've got kids in the house, so it's very kind of like you know quick. We've got to go and do this, and then she to get interrupted by a phone call, and then when you see her, as I say. I've got. To, I want to think of a way of saying it that isn't pulling Judd off. I mean, you know, you know what I mean. The lifting him off the, um, the, the scene where she's helping um, Judd down from being well hung, no, uh, from from his noose. Yeah. Um, and she's embracing him, and you see her actually kind of allowing herself to enjoy that moment. Mm. And then when she picks up her grandfather at the end of the episode, oh yeah, you see she enjoys it. So yeah. it's almost as though her intimacy is stolen moments mm. that she doesn't actually have any real intimacy in her life at all mm. it's either a, a rushed quickie in a in a wardrobe or um i mean that is parent life uh, yeah no it is but they're choosing to show that mm. yeah. in this yeah yeah um so are you almost what that tells me is that there's and i don't think this is much of a stretch to say that she has emotional detachment i mean you yeah. see in the moment where she in the scene when she's talking to Topher how she keeps it real but that's also her judging him because she knows that there's she can't bullshit him because of the awful things he's yeah. seen um but i just think that it's that's a very telling thing about the character that i didn't pick up on the first time is that she mm. wants intimacy she wants oh she connection, craves it absolutely but she can't show that to anyone so it's only these little private moments that only us the audience see and you know that might speak m- more in coming episodes you know you might get more of a history of where yeah. that's coming oh, from i'm saying it's purely based on what we've seen in the first yeah. two so um just going back to the white knight thing and she's like she realizes that there's people in the house and um then you know the man enters with a gun and she pushes cal out of the way um, and basically goes into full-on, you know... One of the things I like about that moment where she pushes Cal out of the way, and this is seen in a lot of other moments as well, in the last episode and this, is how much... Um, how non-traditional the gender roles are with them mm. two. Like the fact that Cal at, at, at looks to her 
for protection and physical reassurance. Yeah. Like he's always saying, are we going to be okay? Well, he specifically says, are we safe later on in the episode? And he, um, you know, seems to be the the primary caregiver Mm. while she's out kicking ass. Yeah. And it's not presented, he's not presented as being a weak person as a result. Yeah. It's just... That's, that's their that's the their relationship, yeah. and I just think that's a nice thing to note. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. Particularly as well for a black male character as well, who yeah. are often portrayed in certain ways. You know. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, there's definitely no aspersions cast on his masculinity yeah, or yeah. anything like he's that. Not like just... a, he's not like a William H. Macy in Fargo. No, <laughs> kind no, of, no. Kind yeah. of so well, so you have that the. Basically, the chaotic scene of of she's um, hiding from the gunman, and he comes into the kitchen, and she sort of surprises him and stabs him and sorts him out, and blah blah blah, and then she just gets shot in the chest, mm. um, and you see her get thrown across the floor. She's you know completely vulnerable. She she's basically she should be dead. She's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, she should be dead when he walks over to her and points a gun at yeah. her face as well. So and and then obviously it fades and she's in the hospital, and it brings up that question: What happened? Why? Why is she alive? Yeah. You know, like, and you're not like you just don't know at this point. And you, you kind know. of like there's a moment when um, you see Judd say to her, "Oh, you took him out." And you you see just a, a quick flash across her face of like, yeah. did I? I did, that's yeah, not yeah. how I remember it. No. Um, and and I think part of her knows like what the hell's going on because I should by rights be dead. And and but so she wakes up and she has this nice scene with Judd, and it, it's almost a shame that. Judd dies so early in it because I really enjoy the chemistry between yeah. them. Oh, it's great. Um, yeah. It's, um, and you know, I'm man enough to admit that Don Johnson is still a handsome man considering, I mean, he must be pushing 70 now, mustn't he? I mean, he's, he's up there. 70's um, the new 50. He's right up there now. <laughs> 70's the new 50. Oh, yeah, yeah. 50's <laughs> the new 70 in my case. <laughs> um, but um, so basically, what he says to her is that they came for everyone, 40 houses. Um, and this is kind of the origin story of how Angela has three white kids. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, because up until now, you know, they're calling her mum and, and it's just accepted that they're her children. And of course this... But you can see that, like, they can't be her biological children. Yeah. So, especially considering both her and her husband are black, Yeah, you know, so how has this come about? Is it adoption? Is it whatever? Um so this is the way that they bring it in uh, quite seamlessly. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Well, I mean, they tell the story in the same way that, um, I mean, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul do this a lot, where mm. you'll be in the middle of something and then you kind of learn about it as it goes. Yeah. You know, you, learn, you you kind of retroactively... It's, it's the right moment to learn about it. Yes, mm. yeah. But obviously, by the end of the episode, with some pretty serious mistrust have been cast on Judd and... That makes the plot thicken a little bit because he does seem... He says all the right things in this scene. Mm. Like, he says, um, you know, look, your your partner and everybody you know virtually has just been killed. It's okay for you to cry. You know, mm. he's sort of... and it's, I could totally relate to her in this bit when she, she just kind of looks at him and goes, maybe later. Mm. Um, I've got too much to do. 
yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when you're processing things and if you're the type of person who sometimes goes into shock first, you, you just can't cry. I think also part of it is a female thing. I think there's a pragmatism to women. I always remember there's a great scene in an episode of... Um, you know, The Good Wife, you know, that show. Yeah, where, I've not seen uh, it, but where, I know it. Where the, the, lead, char- the lead female character, um, and the, 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 she's got like this on-again, off-again thing going with this guy, and finally he admits that he loves her. Mm. And it's meant to be this wonderful romantic moment, but she's just like, well, well how's this going to work? Because like, he's in a relationship, they've got kids, <laughs> like... Or there's the financial element, and she she literally goes. She's like, "Well, but how how are we how's this going to work? Seriously, I love you as well, and it'd be great. But this is going to be a fucking huge hassle." Yeah, and it kind of pops the balloon. And I mean, that that is women. I mean, I remember <clears throat> when we moved into this house. Um, so I love you too, but you have to get a better job. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, so uh, basically, I had to pack up our house, our old house, on my own. Um, because I work from home. I had the, t- you know, I had the, I was there to be able to do it. We don't collaborate well on projects. We do not collaborate well on projects apart from podcasting and um, procreation. I'm oh yes, <laughs> yeah, we made a couple of good kids. The two peas. Um, <laughs> that should but, be named our show: oh, podcasting and shush. procreation. Um, anyway, so I'd had to pack up the whole house. I'd arrange the movers. I'd, I, I'd got this house without Mike even seeing it. Like, it was very much a case of this was the Hannah show. It's definitely, um, I'm definitely Cal in this Cal and yeah, Angela yeah. relationship. And um, I remember we moved in, I'd arranged a, I'd arranged movers, I'd arranged a couple of friends to help me. Um, I had this whole house unpacked the same day we moved in. The freaking Christmas tree was up yeah, by lunchtime. Yeah, the Christmas tree was up. Um, Mike walked in and couldn't believe that the broadband was working. Like, it was at that level, like, it was literally, he walked in and was done. Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, so then the next day was the kids' last day of school. So they finished up school. It was Mike's last day of work before the Christmas break. So that was fine. And, you know, I was chugging along, getting everything organised. And literally, they finished school, Mike finished work, everyone was at home. There was, like, Christmas was organised. There was nothing to do. And, like, my back gave way. I felt terrible. Like, I couldn't move, could I? Yeah. I ended up having to have, like, three osteo appointments before Christmas. Yeah, it's like the whole... Um, it's like you're giving your was, body was, permission yeah, to just Yeah, it was like my apart. whole body just went into shock yeah. at how much it had had to do in a short amount of time. And I just think that's the woman's way. Like, you go and go and go until yeah. you finally get a chance to stop and then you collapse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's... Uh, as the deadbeat in this relationship oh, no, <laughs> I don't I don't mean it at all like you're a deadbeat it was just that's just the way it worked yeah. like you you work an hour away yeah. from our house well that's what I mean I it's, it's, the, it's, the, so prag- it was like, it's the pragmatic it was just thing. the way it works but um okay so we learned that all the force is resigning as the cavalry has their names mm. so what we're also seeing here is the uh, the origin of the the anonymization of um, you know the the, the secret police uh, in this moment, uh, Judd and I can never remember his character's name, so I have to sing the song in my head to remember it. I was like, "Poor Judd is dead." And I'm like, "Okay, there it is." 
So uh, they both agree, uh, Angela and Judd. I always think Judd Nelson. (laughs) Oh, there you go. Yeah, that'll help. Uh, They both agree to not quit, to Mm -hmm. continue on. Uh, And this is where he says that you can cry. And he says that he let her down. Um, This is a moment where um, Angela is framed identically as it cuts from her... her back looking up at the tree to her walking towards the trailer park mm. where they are going there to Nixonville. Uh, and I've got to mention at this point, because we haven't mentioned him yet, even though it's been a couple of episodes, the, the Russian, the red yeah. Russian character. Communist. So I like the fact that because they live in this world where superheroes are just kind of were normal and mm. are part of, you know, just the culture and the, co- the cops um, use their technology and have to cover their faces. Um, how far... Um, individual police officers take that element of it. It mm. almost seems like it's a personal. It's a little bit like with the cops. You've got plainclothes cops and uniform cops, and it's like the plain the plainclothes cops get to kind of wear a bit of flair. So in the case yeah. of Angela, she's got this persona, Sister um, Knight. Yeah, Sister Knight. She, she's got this. She's a superhero. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then you've got other ones who are kind of like like the panda bear guy. Um, and the um, and the Russian, yeah, um, who who looks like he's basically just like cut a couple of holes out of a sock. Yeah, and it looks like my Spider-Man costume from nineteen eighty two. And um, and, and that's and but like I get the feeling that he doesn't give a fuck if he's recognised because he's so angry. But what you get from this, like, there's a moment where he says to um, Angela and to Glass, "Well, who the fuck is in charge now?" That the police here, they're not like the police now, where they are, um, you know, part of civic infrastructure. Here, they're one step away from being a, you know, we said in the last episode, Masonic vigilante gang. Yeah. Because so few of them came back that, you know, I don't think that they have an administrative wing or HR or anything. They've got, there's probably a couple of hundred of them. And, um, you know, because of the whole release of weapon thing, I think they've probably got a li- the, the certain amount of, of political acknowledgement. But I mean, but people aren't scared of them. No, no, exactly. Mm. Well, the fact that they can't use the guns as well. So they go down to Nixonville, which is basically where you see that you and get the impression. Weird, it's weird to see that Nixon is the racist idol. Like, in if you were doing it in this world, it'd be Trump. Well, the, 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 the funny thing is, if you look at this from a Watchmen history perspective. Um, you get the you get the impression that Redford was the he was the 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 liberal the the um, the Hollywood uh, artistic sort of type mm. who came in after uh, but at the same time couldn't really change the world because you know we all try to you know I mean Obama never managed to push through anti gun legislation because it's America and it's not that simple no so what you see is that these racist these groups have become radicalized by their own sense of victimization yeah and we've seen that in the real world in the last few years this whole you can't you know you're infringing on my rights by not letting me be hateful mm. you know and this idea of being racist or being homophobic that's not a hate crime that's a political opinion you know and uh, science isn't a fact it's a belief Science, um, you know, science is a belief. Yeah, yeah, that's well, you know, you, that's but that's that's how that's how these people have talked. I know. You know, this anti-intellectualism. I know. It, it, just that one always gets me. Yeah, it's like well, you you believe in science. It's like no, no, no. This is this has been proven. Yeah. You know, I think this, this stands up. To, this stands up to more rigorous scrutiny than your, you yeah. know, super. 
God's guy. It's uh, well, we're not talking about you know the gospel that was etched in stone, but has been revised several times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, so, so they go and they um, they round them up. They pull down the, their idol, as they call it, the yeah. statue. Um, Bust some heads. Yeah, she takes it out on one unfortunate guy as well. That's basically her grief. Yeah, yeah, mm. that's her way of dealing with it. Mm. And we see um, the um, the Black History uh, Museum protesting protesters who are protesting against handouts. They don't like these red relations that you know um, that are being done. And uh, and I think that again, this is something that is um, quite prescient as well because I think that sometime in the coming decade or decades there is going to have to be a worldwide, at least in the first world, systemic reparation made towards a lot of people who aren't white. Mm. Um, Because, you know, a couple of hundred years of being shut out of capitalism and not being allowed to um, amass uh, amass wealth. I don't mean being rich. I mean Mm. being wealthy. Mm. You know, the the difference in wealth and richness is... um, um, institutional mm. you know if you're wealthy then you're allowed in the country club mm. you know uh, and the yacht club and all that kind of stuff and and I think that um, some large scale uh, world changing reparation is because we all we do you keep, think it will ever happen I do think it will uh, and I think it has to because we keep everything seems like it's great you know I mean in the 80s you know Pete was like hey the Cosby show look this this affluent family um on TV, you know, um, in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, we've got a captain on a Star Trek show who's black, it seems, and then it just crashes and burns, and, and you know, you have the LA riots, and then everything seems okay again, and then we've got the police brutality. Mm. And there's this tension. I mean, it's really, really interesting. I've been listening to um, this podcast that um, Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen do. Yeah. And they're... They do this podcast together just for fun. Um, they're really good friends. Their families, their wives are really good friends. Their kids are friends. They go on holiday together. They're kind of very close. Mm. And they, they're, and each episode of the podcast, they're talking about a different part of American history or American culture, whether mm. it be music or films. And there's a bit where Obama says to Springsteen, he's like, look, he's like, you and I are really close friends. Our families spend time together. He's like, but there's always going to be that thing that you're a white guy and I'm a black guy. He's mm. like, it doesn't come up very often, mm. if at all. But it's there. Yeah. And it's always going to be there. And he's like, I wonder why that is. And Springsteen says, he's like, well, I think part of it is that slavery is the original sin that America was built on. Yeah. And until that's reckoned with, it's never going to go. Yeah. You know? And I think that, that you know, people, different, people who have differences are always going to have those differences. But I think that this idea of reparation... Um, is one of the zeitgeisty things that this show has picked up. Because I don't think this show is hugely prophetic. I just think it's made by really smart, mm. socially-minded people who can see which way the wind's blowing. Yeah. And probably spend a lot of time watching CNN yeah. and have read a lot of books. Yeah. Um, and collectively, a, 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 a clever group of people. And I think that one of the things that they've been clever about, which we haven't seen play out like a lot of the other elements of the show that we've talked about playing out over the last couple of years, is this idea of reparation and how um, you it will mean that those entitled, angry, bitter, it will weaponize them. Mm-hmm. It will give them something to put their hatred towards because it'll be like, oh, you're just being given handouts. You know, I don't have a job. Why should, you know? And 
as awful and evil and wrong as that is, you can understand it. Mm. You know, you can understand why people feel that way um, and how easy it is for politicians to manipulate that. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, but so, so we see her at this, at this, uh, at the museum and she goes up to the touch screen and um, she has used the DNA from the cup um, yeah. that she got uh, Will to drink from. And um, th- she basically uses the... So she's got an inkling that he's something that he's either not disclosed yet. She wants to know where he's he's from. Yes, basically. so why he's interested in her. So mm. basically what she's, she's using it for and what the machine is designed for is to check the eligibility for the, um, the Greenwood, the Tulsa Massacre... Uh, reparations so if you um, were there or involved or a victim of it or you are a descendant uh, of that uh, you're genetically connected to somebody then you're you're um, You're eligible you're eligible for for the reparations so she she gives the dna she goes home and we see a relative of her of the kids that she's looking after no you see a man sitting on a porch you don't know that they're relatives um one thing that i think is really interesting here uh, and this is a real bit geeky bit of watchman continuity is when she comes home you know the kids are playing pirates yeah and she's like god you guys are always playing pirates in the original watchman there's a comic book within the comic book, and it's in the film, the ultimate oh, edition, yeah, yeah. the animated one, and it's a pirate one. And the reason for that is in the comic book, he's reading this pirates one, and Alan Moore said the reason for that was that if superheroes really existed, you wouldn't have superhero comics mm. because they were a real thing. Yeah. So in the world of The Watchmen, superhero comics never existed. Pirate comics yeah. were the thing. So the idea is in the world of Watchmen, what... what Kids don't play superheroes. superheroes. They play They're pirates. Play, yeah. Well, he doesn't say that, but the idea is, is that pirates yeah. are the main pop cultural force. I think force. about that pirate comic a lot. It really... It's, we have to use the corpses of his friends. Stuck to with kind of, me, yeah. yeah. And the, the, there are other references to that later on in um, in this season. But I just when I saw them and she made reference to them playing pirates, I was like, wow, that's like mm. a that's a deep cut it's nod to the uh, to the source material. That is, this is where this is the scene I mentioned where you really get the sense that Angela is sort of looks after him, looks after Cal, looks after Cal. She's mm. the sort of the. Uh, you know, what people would you used to say wears the trousers? You yeah, know, in in that relationship. Judd's wife called. Cal says uh, she finds, sounds fine, even though she knows she's not. Just like her. Just like her, yeah. Mm. There's a great scene where she goes and talks to Topher, and she's like, look, you know, we don't do lollipops and rainbows, mm. you know. And they're kind of bonded in both being victims of mm. the same thing. This is an interesting moment as well, because have you noticed there's a real castle theme going on through the first episode and the second? No, no. So, obviously, the Lord of the Manor is yeah. in a castle. Topher is building a floating castle. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if it's been... You might need to cut this out. I don't know if it was said in episode one. That hasn't been said yet. Okay. There's just... There's this little weaving theme of castles in... You know what it reminds me of? Interesting places. It reminds me of the use of clockwork. In the the original, yeah, um, you know the way that that Doctor Manhattan builds that castle out of clockwork, mm. and obviously you've got Osterman, you know, learning, um, and also the idea of nuclear technology as yeah. being clockwork as yeah. well, you know. Yeah, and the- I just I just think like I mean, 
Um, that's all in there it, for a it's reason. Just, it's just such a lovely theme. Like, in, it, it's not a spoiler saying that. It's just, it's a theme that's happening and something to keep an eye on. But there is a real castle theme right from the beginning. Yeah. Like, they, they weave it in, in kind of all kinds of different ways. Yeah, yeah. There's something very classical about that. Mm. And this is where we get to see the, uh, as I say, the Ryan Murphy-esque um, American hero story. Oh, um, sorry. Just before you get into that... I love how Topher deals with the news. He kind of looks shocked for a second because he's a kid. Yeah. And then deals with it in a very closed down way. And like, okay, well, all policemen die. But his grief comes out with him shattering the castle. Yeah. Like that's his way of projecting his grief. Yeah. And I love the fact that he says not to tell his siblings that he'll deal with that yeah the next the day well that's i think that's the martial feat of comanche heroism you know mm, it's the yeah. uh or I horsemanship just, i it? just really love that i yeah. thought it was beautiful it, it made sense yeah and and they remind you that he is just a kid because he destroys the castle says all of that and then goes can i watch tv yeah yeah, yeah. and it's such we have two children and we can attest to the fact that they can be absolutely devastated by something one minute and then can I watch TV? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they could they could cry to a degree that if it was an adult doing it, would probably have you sectioned. Yeah. And then uh, five minutes later, they'll be eating ice cream and, yeah. you know, happy Everything's as anything. Everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, it just didn't happen. So, so, yeah, so we get to see some of the American hero story. And I think it's interesting because... I love because... the fact that it says young children should not view this under any circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Like... Even if, even if uh, accompanied by an adult and he's sitting next to Cal on the yeah. sofa. It's like a comedically long, like a laundry list of mm. warnings. And I think that it's funny Basically because... Basically, like, no one's, no one's uh, ready to view it. Yeah, and it, it, I get the feeling that, um, and I don't think this was perhaps meta commentary as such, but I get the feeling that this that's for show that people who, old school Watchmen fans who didn't like this, wanted, mm. you know. Um, but at the same time, it's not, it's still done quite well. Mm. Like, it's actually shot well. Mm. Um, so what we see is... Um, you know, in the original Watchmen, you had... Um, the, it's a little bit like... I mean, basically, it's based on DC. Yeah. Because in DC, in the golden age of, comic, age of comic books, in the 40s, you had the Justice Society of America. And then much later, you had the Justice League. Yeah. And that was more modern heroes. And what you've got in Watchmen, the equivalents are... You've got the Minutemen, who are like yep. a hooded justice, the, origi- the, the original Silk Spectre, the kind of World War Two. Painted on the side of, of the plane, kind of hero heroes. Yeah. Captain America before he got frozen in ice, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And then the, in the night owl. Yeah, and the, yeah, the original night owl. Mm. And then you've got the Watchmen era, which is comedian, the comedian and night owl two, and Doctor Manhattan, Osmandius. Yeah, and they're the kind of seven sixties and seventies kind of like gritty era. And the comic book jumps between the two of them and. Um, it was weird, actually, because you haven't seen the theatrical version, but you totally called this. One of the big fundamental differences between the two-hour theatrical cut and the director's cut, which let's, let's, let's not forget, is more than twice the length of the theatrical cut. Mm. It's essentially another film yeah. weaved in. The big difference is the amount of time that they spend on the Minutemen. Mm. So I think that if you have watched that, um, 
the theatrical version, some of this stuff might be lost on you. Um, and that's why I think it's one of the reasons why I really connected with it because I had all that with, what? with the TV show, sorry, because I had all that prior knowledge of the Minutemen from yeah. watching the longest version. Yeah. I mean, one of the great bits of filmmaking, I honestly believe in a mainstream film in the last 20 years, is the opening credits of the movie Watchmen where The Times They Are Changing by Bob Dylan plays. Mm. And it just shows you the entire history of, oh God. of the... It's, so like, it's like a six or seven minute sequence mm. with just the titles in yellow, of course, with the whole, the whole of the Bob Dylan song plays. And it's, you, you could just sit down and watch just that six or seven minutes mm. as a short film. You know, the soundtrack just, for the Watchmen in general is it's Tarantino just amazing. Level kind of, it? It's so good. Um, but um, but also I like just the fact that the, 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 the times they are changing is just such a perfect choice of song because it's about how they got outlawed yeah. um, and sort of pushed away. But basically what, what this is reminding us is that the first wave of superheroes um, um, were, in fact, all of them apart from Dr. Manhattan, were just guys in costumes, yeah. and the first of what the first of which was Hooded Justice. Hooded he Justice, was basically yeah. the first masked vigilante or superhero, depending on how you want to look at them. Mm. Uh, and then um, the actual f- Superman, let's face it, Doctor mm. Manhattan's meant to be Superman. Superman, yeah. Um, came along, um, you know, later mm. um, in that world. Yeah, but, he uh, wasn't the beginning of everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, so. Um, we we get the the you know the the, the action sequence with um, Hoodie, Hoodie Justice. Justice of the Minutemen, and I think it's interesting as well that what they do they do that kind of thing where he's talking and, and saying who am I I'm a I can't stand to look at myself in the mirror I have to wear a mask but by this point we've cut back to Angela yeah and his dialogue is continuing on I love she's sort it of like because so it's it becomes so... it's her internal monologue at yeah this yeah point, you know? it, it's her talking to the audience absolutely not... and I love I love that that that's kind of the the way they do it. Because how literally you take it being her thoughts Shit. is up to you. I really want to say something, but I can't because it's a spoiler. Uh, well, well, wait and just make sure that when we get to the episode where it's about, that you remember it. That's the half the skill of podcasting, that is. Oh, I've never made that connection. With the yeah, you've got to remember to say that. I know. Um, okay, so... Um, I might steal it off you just to be like, 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 I'll be doing this as well. (laughs) Hannah, you know, (laughs) seems just occurred to me. (laughs) Even if you edited that out, I would put it on Instagram (laughs) and go, it was me. Yeah. Um, So basically she, she goes over to um, see Jean and um, the, she meets Joe, a senator, a, a sort of glad-handing dandy. Mommy senator. Yeah, yeah. Mommy's. You know, you know who who I think could have met, played him. Who? You know the um, oh god, I can't remember the oh no, you've not never watched Friday Night Lights the series. Um, the oh yeah, he's the, the actor who the one who played the love interest in the first season of Parks and Recreation, but then disappeared. Oh yeah. Couldn't yeah. you see him playing that yeah, role? Absolutely. He's got a very, he's got the same sort of energy as yeah. that actor. Um, but we see her faint, um, and it's funny as well. She, it's interesting. Oh, sorry. Before then, um, when he says, "Look, we're gonna," you know, it's awful what happened. Um, we're gonna give you all of our resources, mm. and she's like, "Well, I'm not a cop anymore." And he's like, "Oh, of course, sorry." Yeah. But there is this sort of like, "Whoops, like, <laughs> yeah, okay, no, yeah, of course you're sure not. Sure, you're not. Yeah, no, sure, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, I believe you. Yeah, yeah." 
<laughs> roger, roger. And, um, but then she faints. Um, but what we see for the second time this episode, um, what we learn, and this goes back to the whole pragmatic uh, woman thing, is um, that she black widows him. Mm. In the same way that she black widowed Will when really all she wanted was him to drink out the coffee cup. You yeah. know, this is the second instance of like, I remember the first time I watched it, the film grammar tells you that. Like, she's all like, oh gosh, I've just had a funny turn. You oh, know. I feel terrible. Yeah, like, I'm, I've, I've, I've withered, you know. And then as soon as the, um, and I knew how it was going to happen, I remember watching this for the first time, that as soon as Jean walks out the room, she opens her eyes and the music kicks in. <laughs> but sort of, sort of, ha yeah, yeah. uh, ha. And the, she's got goggles like Archimedes. Like she yes. is, she is like the owl. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I mean, Night Owl wore them himself. I know. Like, there's a bit in the. I kind of love that she has those. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, again, the technology because they, they, they. I can't remember if they say anything about what happened to Night Owl. I'm not going to sort of give that away because I cannot remember. But I almost get the feeling that when it was out, but you know what happened, given watching the movie. No, no, what I'm saying, though, is in the intervening years since the movie, mm. I get the feeling that um, Night Owl, um, he would never have stopped being Night Owl because him, no. and, him and Rorschach were the two who came out of retirement and said, fuck this shit. Yeah. So I get the impression that sometime between the original comic book series and now, he probably got caught and arrested and locked up and had all of his technology taken off him. Yeah. Yeah. And that that technology has found its way into... Uh, corporate like mainstream use. yeah mm. you know how like people people always talk about how um you know like an, an alien spaceship crashed in mexico in the 40s and that's mm. where we got velcro <laughs> you know it's one of those kind of it, but, but that's that's what i think is happening okay. in the world of, of watchmen is that they had all this cool shit i mean like if batman got caught and got sent to prison and they found the Batcave, that would probably yeah, forward like, technology you know, yeah. you know if, if like apple got their hands mm. on that shit or um, Elon I Musk believe or somebody. That minor, minority Report um, furthered uh, the technology of iPhones. Yeah, well, I mean that's an interesting one as well because well, bought up iPhones because well, yeah, you didn't have that before yeah. that. But but I think the thing that's interesting about Minority Report, and I get the feeling that Watchmen's a little bit like that, is that Spielberg actually put together a think tank. He got was, whenever I hear think tank, I think of the Seinfeld routine about. Oh can yeah. Can you imagine them like working on the think tank? What happens when they want to take a break? Hang on a minute. I've just got to... Okay, I've just thought about that for a minute. Okay, I can have a break now. <laughs> they just sit around thinking. But, um, but you know, so, so, so we got together, like, futurists. You got yeah. together arch- architects. Yeah, I've got the note there as well about uh, about the night owl goggles as well. Although, I got, I was trying to figure out what the hell that meant because it auto-corrected. Look at that top, top note. Night owl giggles. I was like, what the fuck's that? What was he giggling at? So she goes to the to the. So it's just walking along. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll never know. Uh, she goes in the closet and sees what looks like um, Grand Wizard, super racist man. Yep, this is where we see the painting, and it's interesting as well because the title um, of the episode um, is um, "Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship," mm. um, but the it's actually the other way round. The name of the painting, right? It's "Martial Feats of Comanche Horsemanship." Sorry, Comanche feats of martial horsemanship. I was going to say you just said yeah. the same um, so, title twice. So they've they've kind of punned it mm. a little bit, and I think it's interesting that 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 can mean so much. I mean, the the obvious thing is um, how, on a really basic level, is the treatment of 
indigenous people, mm. the treatment of the, how easy it is um, to dehumanize people. You yeah. know, like tell you, you hear about this people telling their children that oh they they don't love their children the way we love you. Mm. You know, um, and I think that the obviously the most powerful precedent is that so when you see things like like these reparation systems people think oh it's absurd but i think that what's happening is now i think everybody even relatively um you know right-leaning people in america know that the way that american indians was treated was shit Mm. it's like that now has just become accepted and I think that we are in the early stages of the treatment of African Americans starting to actually be viewed like that. Where, mm. but I think only now are people like us mm. really starting to go. Actually, it's really fucking bad. Mm. Uh, and I think that the using that painting and using um, the idea of um, the treatment of Native Americans as a, um, a allegory for that is pretty deliberate Mm. i like the fact as well that they use that device when they go into the horsemanship painting which is a real painting a real painting george catlin or somebody um, did it um i love that it goes into it sets up a world that's not real what it feels like you're going through a portal yeah and the fact that there's tomatoes growing on a tree is like a signifier to the audience that there's something amiss here. Uh, this tomorrow's a- not growing trees. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Uh, and also, uh, congratulations to J- Jeremy Irons for competing with John Noble for most gross eating of a tomato. I know. <laughs> you know? Um, but, like, I love that that's how they've done it. Yeah. They've put a tomato on a tree and to say there's something wrong here. Because like- as we all know... Tomatoes don't grow on trees. Fucking <clears throat> hell. You think I'm joking. Um, okay, so... I know you're not joking. That's what's making me say fucking hell. But apples grow out the ground, right? <laughs> fucking, you know. I know about it. I know about it. I've never seen a tomato growing... Oh, no, yeah, they're on vines, aren't they, of course. Mm, uh, I just eat them. I don't think about where they come from. I grew tomatoes at our last house. I remember having a tomato tree. No, I'm fucking I only did it once because Philip took a bite out of every tomato before it was ripe. Oh, wow. What, an assassin of joy? It was such an assassin of joy. Um, I went out there and there was just teeth marks out of all of them. (laughs) Yes, yes, it was Philip. Um, So we see the Lord of the Manor, the Jeremy Irons, the creepy, pervy-looking Jeremy Irons. And And, um, he um, he gets another cake as well. And the fact that there's two candles on it gives a good signifier that a year has passed. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought was a lovely way to do it rather than something down the bottom yeah. saying one year later. I mean, this is a really good example. Is it? You spoke the other week, Hannah, about how you were put off a lot of TV shows that I sort of pushed towards you because you were worried that they'd be impenetrable or homework or whatever. Mm. And I think this show is a really good example of that in the sense that you have to really watch this show. Oh, you have but- to pay attention. It's not hard to follow. No. And I think there's a difference. I think people confuse the two is that paying, relying on the audience, paying attention Mm. is not the same as being complex because I've watched stuff where I've watched it eagle eyed and I haven't got a fucking clue what's going Mm. on uh, because the storytelling's messy and unclear. I would absolutely say the same thing about Babylon 5. Um, I was worried about it because Mike had said, 
you know, there's a lot to take in. You have to really pay attention. And, and it, is, do. it, it does you have do. complexity. You absolutely but. do. But the, it's the same, and it's probably the reason why I love these two series as much as I do. Yes, they do require you to not be on your phone. They require you to be listening and watching and taking it in and paying attention. But they don't hide things for hiding's sake. They're not going to spell it out, you know, you're an idiot. Mm. But they are also not going to hide things like you need to have a Harvard degree to be able to... um, It's good storytelling. Yeah. And it's funny, something that I mentioned to you off microphone, actually, Hannah, was that it's really interesting contrasting this with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm. purely because we have been doing that on this podcast. And what I've noticed is it's much harder writing notes because I I write notes on my phone and so Mm. does Hannah sometimes. Um, I've had to a lot more for this. Yeah. Um, It's difficult because Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., because it's a network show, it's much more expositional. And Mm. network TV is closer to radio in the sense that, you know, most of the information is conveyed verbally mm. because they don't have en- enough money in a lot of cases. Yeah. You know, um, they'll have to they'll have to tell, not show. Mm. Um, whereas a lot of the st- because um, oh, there is so much visual stuff be- in this because Watchmen is much more cinematic. Yeah, and again, I'm not saying that's a better thing. It's just mm. it's a difference. Yeah, um, th- you if you're typing notes, you could be you're missing miss really something. important visual yeah. information. Yeah, whereas on a network TV show like an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., for example, chances are you're, it's going to be not spelled out for you, but it's going to be verbal. Mm. And, and you might miss something, yeah. but you're not going to miss something so big that that something further down the line will not make sense. Yeah, it's almost as though what the characters are saying in this show is actually less important than what you're seeing. Mm. Yeah. And uh, again, I mean, it's co- it comes that, from a comic that book. goes to Twin Peaks as well because, a, like, a lot of the time you might be hearing one thing from what they're saying, but but witnessing something completely different from the tableau. Yeah, in and, front the, of the, you. and and the, the iconography as well. Mm. It's, yeah, it's always like dreams. I lo- I love the and I love that it's Jeremy Irons saying this. You know, he's talking to the female servants, and he says, "A lie, not a lie." Yeah, when when we were acting, and and that is, I, I bet Jeremy I Irons has said note. that in 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 his because Jeremy Irons is he's like Patrick Stewart or Kenneth Branagh. Mm. I see him as part of that world, you know. Oh, he's wonderful, D- Derek Jacobi, in the way that. Um, he is an actor. Mm. You know, Daniel Day-Lewis, he's another one of those. Very Lawrence Olivier, so. you know. Mm. It's like, he's not an actor in the sense of Robert De Niro or Marlon Brando. Um, you know, he's not like a method guy. He he can play he's it for the back actor. row. You know, one of the things that's great about this show is you've got people like Jeremy Irons. And Jeremy Irons is a respected, famous actor for a reason. So mm. every time he's on screen... It's interesting, yeah. You know, because there's just such a kind of just there's there's nobody else quite like Jeremy Irons. He's got the most amazing sexy face as well. Uh, well it's it's funny as well because he because this is DC obviously is in the current DC movies. Mm. He's Alfred, is he? In the he's like the B- Batman's butler, but in 
in the DC world now, he's like he's meant to be like an ex like Navy SEAL kind Cause, of like because I sort of see him as Batman's nemesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd be far better off in that role. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, mm. it's weird, um, but um, um, so what we get is we get a play. Yeah, I love the fact that he says to Mister Phillips um, just before the play when he's uh, Mister Phillips is asking for the watch as a prop, and yeah. he says, "Mister Phillips, you are the prop." Yeah, um, and you don't know what he's talking about at that point. And then you see the play of the reenactment of how John becomes Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, and again, it all starts with a watch. He leaves his mm. he leaves his yeah. um, fiance's watch in um, the sort of the matter generator or yeah. whatever the hell it's called. And he's so excited when uh, it's getting to the climate. It, it, it's it's funny as well because one of the things that I love about what Damon Lindelof does here is that in this sequence you get the impression he loves all of Watchmen. He mm. loves. The Zack Snyder movie. He loves the comic book. Yeah, and he and this is one of the more explicit references to the film mm. because the way that they stage um, the origin of of John Osterman mm. into um, Doctor Manhattan, yeah, is clearly based on the film. And they've got Ride of the Valkyries by I Wagner playing, and song. that's the music. That's in the film. Yeah, you know, it's not nowhere in the comic book does it reference that. No, so, but it's it's no accident. But that's the song. That but that's is. a meta thing. It's like you know how in Shakespeare they'd have the play within the play. Mm. In this, it's like the play within the play is the Zack Snyder movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like a weird little but meta yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, that is the thing. It's like in his world, he wants to he wants to recreate this story he's heard, and. Of course it has elements of that because that's Zack Snyder was recreating mm. the story he heard in his way when he made the movie, you know? And when he says nothing ever ends, yeah. I love that. Like, um, it can kind of be terrifying and also really comforting yeah. to know that nothing ever ends. And he's also saying it with, um, I think, a sense of meaning that we're not meant to fully comprehend at this yeah. point. Yeah, it's for fair sure. to say, and um, so we get the origin of Doctor Manhattan, um, and that's the other thing as well. That uh, this is going to sound like a really dumb thing to say, even dumber than the tomatoes thing. Um, well, actually, no, similarly dumb. <laughs> I don't want to over over egg it, but um, is that the whole idea of, of Watchmen um, and the title was who watches the Watchmen? Because and that's something that you see in the film and and the comic when people are rioting in the seventies, I think it is, mm. about the after the Vietnam War and people don't want any more superheroes and somebody graffitis um, who watches the Watchmen mm. and uh, the idea being who polices who these polices people them. and yeah. that became a iconic newspaper. Um, photo in the world of the Watchmen in the same way that like you know the, the little napalmed girl in Vietnam in yeah. real life became yeah. something like that um, and that's where the title came from the Watchmen but the thing that never occurred to me was watch mm. watch is in on your wrist is, is that the actual the word watch is in the fucking title yeah, yeah. <laughs> of the thing but I'd always thought of it in the sense of Watchmen watchers who watches the watchers yeah. who watches the Watchmen yeah. but it's right there, yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that that is uh, worth pointing out at this mm. point. Because he says, you know, when, when um, Osterman goes back into the chamber, into the field generator, he says, oh, I fixed your watch. Yeah. And the idea of Behold. fixing a watch and the, and, the, and the intricacy of that, it's almost like 
Dr. Manhattan wants to fix the universe. He wants to make everything run right. Well, he's not Dr. And, Manhattan yet. Uh, but, yeah. No, no, but that's the point, is that he is... Dr. Manhattan becomes this other bit... This He's, a, he's on a whole other evolutionary plane, but he still brings his human foibles, the fastidiousness mm. of the watchmaker, yeah. being the watchmaker's son. He still brings that OCD controlling um, element, you yeah. know, uh, in the same way that, like that, that documentary I was watching about that girl who who who, um, who um, does domino art, yeah. it's that kind of personality type yeah. that informs who he is in the original yeah, Watchmen as well. Sure. Um, I, I I love how sort of angry Jeremy Irons gets just when any and little thing goes wrong. Forget, He's like, oh, forget the words. Yeah, yeah. you see him sort of wince. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, well, you know, you know, it's not the first time she's forgotten. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. And, uh, and and you know, we're reminded about the role of Jenny Slater as well. She's quite an important character in the original Watchmen. Um, and, uh, you know, we see him catch fire uh, and we see her tears as well. Like, mm. And she says before, you'll get real tears. And it's almost like she knows that... She knows what's about ...that this guy's going to die. Yeah. And they will be real tears because he's one of her, her kin, I suppose, yeah. in a weird yeah. way. And as people take off their masks, which is also another nod to, um, you know, the way the police are. Yeah. Um, you Anonymity. You see that they're clones mm. of each other. Um, yeah, well, it certainly seems that way, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're well, not he says, twins and triplets. They're, they're clones. He says, um, shall I put him in the cellar with the others? With the others, And yeah. uh, I'll tell you what, you, I wouldn't want to go in that cellar. No. Um, stink. And he says, do you want to be the new Mr. Phillips? And, um, and the, he says, yes, it would be a great honour. Yeah, yeah. And it's like the um, the watch has not stopped. He's only just begun. We see that we, we go back to Will, who has escaped from his handcuff, handcuffs. Yeah, and no handcuffs cooking on. eggs again yeah, with the eggs. I just, put eggs theme again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he says that he went across the street for them to, uh, and came back. So basically what that suggests is not only is he extremely capable, but he is not running. Yeah. He is there to take... Angela on some kind of on a journey, yeah, yeah, yeah metaphorical mm. or otherwise. And that's when he, like, they have the conversation about. She says, "I'll arrest you if you don't tell me," and he says, "You would have done it already if you were going to." Yeah. I, I like to. I think and anyway, I would have survived because I've got friends in high places. Yeah. I, I, I like how amused he is yeah. by the fact that she actually looks in the closet. He was like, "Fuck yeah. it, that was a metaphor of saying <laughs> skeletons in the closet." Yeah. He's like, "That was actually in his closet." Yeah. And then the phone rings, and you get the confirmation that oh, the cultural heritage he, centre call. He is a descendant of the Tulsa massacre and so she um and that she is his granddaughter yeah. um which she is visibly shocked by yeah um and this is where as you say he says that he wants to show her where she came from mm. and this is where she lifts and, dash embraces him no no she has a moment of you think she's gonna just keep talking to him and then she says i'm arresting you and takes him outside yeah so it's that anger at the lack of control, the lack of autonomy she has over her own universe. Well, and also privacy, because, I mean, mm. this is a woman who's been living a huge secret. Yeah. Her entire life is a secret. And the idea that somebody knows stuff about her, yeah. that she doesn't even know it's, herself. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's super scary to yeah, her. Yeah. So if you're a control freak, that's like, like your nightmare. I'm, 
I'm arresting yeah. you. I want this it. to go away. Yeah. I don't have to think about this anymore. I'm, and you can tell she doesn't want to do it. Um, and that's evidenced by the way when she picks him up out of the wheelchair, she's she is hugging him. Because she hasn't talked about her race. I mean, she's, she's mm. talked about these being racist assholes and things like that. But, but she's, you, no, she's never talked about her background. this is the first time that you, when he says, you get the impression that what this is being framed as is her learning about her heritage. Mm. Not just literally in the case of this series, like, you know, that she, that this is her granddad, but it's almost as though, um, you know, she, she's worked for a largely white police force with a mm. white boss. Um, and they have been working against the bad guys are racist, so you know technically everything's mm. on the, on the up and up. But he seems to represent a bit like you know you, in 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 New Zealand, for example, where you'll hear about um, young um, uh, Maori kids whose parents maybe have lost um, connections with their cultural identity mm. uh, for whatever reason, um, yep. and. Maybe a grandparent comes to them and starts to actually connect with mm. them about that. Yeah. And I think that in these scenes at the end, they're evoking that, that kind yeah. of yeah, realization, sure. and she's um, battling with that yeah, a little she bit. Is. You know? And um, while this is all going on, Will is looking up at the sky quite a lot. Yeah, it's almost like it's like he's checking his watch, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, and she puts him in the car and she's really fucked off and she's got his wheelchair and she's about to take she's it like, around. Yeah. <laughs> she's about to take it around and put it in the boot and this magnet comes down from the sky and picks the car up and takes it away. Yeah. It's a bit of a WTF moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um And then out and of the note, sky a note flutters down from the sky that says Watch over this boy. But on the other side... It's got the coloured... Propaganda, the propaganda, joyless... Uh, yeah. And I think that this, that moment, that little punchline, and every episode I mean, of the show... I mean, it's the note that Will had after Tulsa. One of the things that I love about this show is that it exists in a sweet spot for me. Mm. When we were covering Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I was being quite critical of a lot of these short season prestige shows because what you don't get is that nice self-contained storyline that you get in an episode of Star Trek or an episode yeah. of even like CSI or shows like that. Um, and this is a nine-chapter novel. But every episode has a beginning, middle, and an end and mm. kind of a punchline that takes you back to the beginning of the episode. So you still feel like you've watched... There's some resolution. ...a, co- a complete yeah. piece of work by the end of it. Mm. As opposed to you've just eaten a bit of this and then you've got to Scratch wait and the then surface you, and you've got to wait you've got to wait yeah, yeah yeah so it's like you've had a satisfying experience mm. watching the episode yeah, I agree. and you want to watch the next one but it, it's not an empty calories kind mm. of thing yeah and I agree. um but um okay hannah so sum it up sum it up but this will be a long one when it's all been stitched together um yeah no goddamn fantastic bring it on bring on number three yeah and it's a nice Thank one. I mean, what, what, what you're saying, but what I'd also add is that it's particularly enjoyable doing it as a podcast because I think that watching it that closely, but also, fuck, you know, there's a reason why book clubs are popular mm. is just the act of discussing it in, makes the text better. Yeah. You know, because these things were designed to be, they were created through discussion. 
you know, and to be able to actually go through them and talk about them and hear your thoughts. Like there's a couple of things that you've said that um, we're going to have to cut out, but mm. we'll come back to that had never, would never have occurred to me, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is a really enjoyable thing to do. And, um, I, but I do really appreciate, as I say, the fact that each episode uh, has, um, you know, this feeling where, like at the beginning of the episode when you've got the girl typing, and it just seems so out of context and so odd. Mm. By the end of the episode, that's really satisfactory. You know, yeah. it's really it's yeah. really satisfying what they've actually done with that. Mm. But um, before we do finish, though, I have thought of some, uh, in the interim, some um, one-season shows. The mm-hmm. question we had from... Uh, Dave. Dave. Mm-hmm. And we mentioned shows that... I mean, Firefly is the obvious one. And we've already heard, like, you know, American Gothic Murder One, uh, which I've now got... Uh, which is impossible to find on the internet. <laughs> this is a show that has been erased from history. I'm, I'm going to put the, the first episode on for Hannah at some point. It's the most 90s thing in the world, but uh, actually pretty good. But no, there was, a, there was a few other ones that I thought of in the interim. Space Above and Beyond, which is a one-season show by Glenn Morgan and James Wong, who were two of the key writers on The X-Files. And... It was a like proper space sci-fi series, yeah. And that was, I think, that actually did a story arc, which was crazy. It was like 1994, and um, that was like a one seasoner. There's Almost Human, which is um, created by um, J. H. Wyland, I think his name is. He was the showrunner Wyman? of Fringe. Wyman, that's mm. it. He was the showrunner of Fringe, and this is the I show. I watched this one too, and it was great. Well, it was he made so it. Good. He made it immediately after mm. Fringe, didn't he? Yeah. Like Fringe got cancelled, and he went straight into this, mm. and it got like a really bad time slot and that. But it was one of those shows where immediately it was great. The pilot yeah. was great. Uh, we really enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, and it just, it, yeah, it just didn't quite. It, it wasn't given long enough. I mean, no. I think it got. It didn't even get a full it, season. It needed. It needed a bit of leeway. Yeah. I mean, so that's one where it's not a recommendation in the sense that it's actually kind of heartbreaking because mm. it's so much fun. But that's one that, you know, should But have... it's super fun if you want to watch the episodes. Your day isn't going to be ruined if you watch them. Yeah, and of course now, now everybody loves Carl Urban because of the boys. But, you know, this was his uh, he, one of his earlier... Was this before or after Dread? Um, this was just after. Okay. Another show that I really liked is 2000 and wow this has got a really high rating it only ran for 13 episodes in 2010 mm. a show called Terriers mm. starring Donald Logan Michael Raymond it's a lot it, it's a very Shane Blackie kind of like the, do you remember that film I can't remember what it's called is it The Nice Guys with with Russell Crowe yeah Russell yeah, Crowe yeah. and Ryan yeah. um, Ryan Gosling Ryan Gosling mm. that almost feels like a remake of this it's a oh, very okay. similar sort of sleazy private eyes in yeah. LA kind of but with a buddy cop kind of okay. eye and it was such a fun show and everybody loved it and it got I remember it was that was when I was really engaged in the podcast community mm. I remember this show started and everybody was like oh my god this is an incredible show and everybody just fell in love with it mm. and then it just got cancelled and everybody was fucking gutted and, it, and it's still a tragedy I see it's, it's, I mean, it's been over a decade now but I still kind of hope that show comes back. <laughs> There's The Prisoner, the Patrick McGowan 1960s series, one of the great... Um, I and think that, that is literally one series, is it? It's one season of 22 episodes. Um, it was designed to be one season. Kind of lovely um, that there's 22. Yeah, so yeah. That, like, there's a good there's a lot run of them. them. Yeah, mm. and it's it was... Um, 
the star, Patrick McGowan, wrote it. He was his show. It's this crazy kind of, it's part Bond, it's part, like the whole idea of it is you've got this, this guy just wakes up and he's living on, on his, he's on this island and he can't leave. It's almost mm. like the Truman Show. And um, the whole show is just him trying to figure out how he got there, what the fuck's going on and trying to escape. Right. Um, and it's one of the all-time great shows. Um, the uh, Our friend Chris, um, your friend Heidi's husband. Yeah. It's his favourite TV show of all time. Oh, right. Uh, and it's it's a tremendous piece of work. Like, I'd always heard about it. It's one of those shows where if you watch the opening credits of it, you'll actually probably recognise quite a lot of its iconography. It was a big influence on Babylon 5. They mm. used, like, the... Um, the uh, the psychops, you know how they always say "be seeing you" when they yeah, go. Yeah. That's from that's from the okay. the prisoner, and that's a great show. And Police Squad, uh, which is the show that the Naked Gun was based on, uh, that was a one it's season. It's so funny. As soon as you say Police Squad, all I see is the TV screen with a car bonnet, like with the flashing light yeah. on top, like. I've never watched Police Squad, yeah. but I know yeah. that. Yeah, and it, it, it was just hilarious. It's and it synonymous was, with comedy. Well, it was crazy that it got made, because it was made in the 80s, and it was like a satirical wall, fourth wall breaking show. And you look back at it now, and it's like, how the fuck did they get that one through mm. the gates? You know. Yeah. Um, but it took on such a cult following that they then made the Naked Gun films yeah. with the same cast. Um, but yeah, so... Um, Another one is Crime Story, which is an awesome one-season show um, starring Der- Dennis Farina. Mm. And it was made by Michael Mann right after Miami Vice. It was around the time he made Manhunter. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the cast of Manhunter are in it as well. But it's basically like a uh, a cop show set in Las Vegas in the 60s. Right. And it's just so fucking cool. And it was meant to be an ongoing show. It was meant to run for years like Miami mm. Vice did. But... They got. They found out about two thirds of the way through the season that they were getting cancelled, and they actually managed to wrap it up really successfully. Mm. That has meant that it's still something you can go back to mm. and watch. And it always used to be on in the late eighties and early nineties, late at night uh, on ITV and stuff. Mm. And it's got a really memorable opening credits. The theme tune is um, um, "My Little Runaway" by Del Shannon. You know, I'm a walking in the rain. <laughs> Um, and Wishing you were here by me <laughs> to perform this misery, and, and I, I wonder. She went away, and I wonder where she will stay. My, my little, little runaway, runaway. <laughs> oh, I love those songs. But, um, so whenever I hear that song, I always think I always think of Crime Story. And finally, Wild Palms, which this is a bit of a cheat because this is kind of a mini series. But this is a a TV mini series that Oliver Stone did um, right after Twin Peaks, and it felt it was one of those like picket fences after Twin because when Twin Peaks aired, people were like, and this is funny actually, this is kind of going full circles of this episode of Watchmen because mm. people. Movie directors didn't direct TV. Yeah. You know, you weren't getting... Steven Spielberg didn't direct TV shows. So when David Lynch directed Twin Peaks, suddenly uh, the walls between the respectability yeah. sort yeah. of ghetto yeah. just vanished. So Oliver Stone was like, fuck, I'll do it. So he made this one-season show called Wild Palms, which was his 
kind of crack at doing Twin Peaks. And it was it, it was like American Gothic and like uh, Murder One and all these shows. It was designed to be just this one season. I mean, Murder One was going to was a, the original idea of that was like Fargo. It was going to be a different thing each season, but. Um, but while Palms was just designed to be this one self-contained thing. Uh, okay, that's it for this week. Um, just a quick reminder to go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and check out the Iron Sequel, his film, her movie, Film Bastards, Shinstroker vs. Punter, and Entertainment Landfill, and all of the other good stuff that's going on over there. There's lots of film reviews, written, spoken, video-y, and otherwise. And also uh, email us at rewatchprojectspodcast at gmail.com and find us on our socials that's instagram namely and twitter at rewatch proj and youtube likes and follows please the next episode is called she was killed by space junk um season one episode three synopsis says following a late night visit from the senator fbi agent laurie blake heads to tulsa to take over the recent murder investigation okay the lord of the manor receives a harshly worded letter and responds accordingly i love that scene just saying in advance um it is directed by stephen williams okay and written by damon lindelof and lila biok okay cool looking forward to that so that's us for this week guys we will see you soon i I dare say we'll probably back quite quickly because i think um we want to continue yeah we're like on a roll yeah i think we'll be putting these out um every few days at this point um cool okay that says guys bye-bye take care poor john is dead poor john cry is dead all gather round his coffin now and cry He had a heart of gold, and he wasn't very old. Oh, why did such a fella have to die? This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.